Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It is good to be with you. We are now moving our way into day 259 today. That's where we are, day 259. That's Deuteronomy chapter 13 and some sobering words here um, about prophets and other things that we need to consider. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you speak your word to us? Would you be our teacher and our guide and our God? We want your word to do its work in us, for you to teach it to us so that we understand with our minds, but that we receive with our hearts and we treasure by faith and respond to you in obedience. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, or the wife you embrace, or your friend, who is your own soul, who is as your own soul, entices you secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, which neither, whether near you or far from you, from one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. You shall stone him to death with stones, because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all Israel shall hear and fear, and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. If you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to dwell there, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be true and certain that such an abomination has been done among you, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword, devoting it to destruction, all who are in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword. You shall gather all its spoil into the midst of the open square and burn the city and all its spoils with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. None of the devoted things shall stick to your hand. 
that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you as he swore to your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping all his commandments that I am commanding you today and doing what is right in the sight of the Lord your God. That is Deuteronomy 13, dealing with this really this underlying issue of idolatry and how serious it is. So it's whether someone arises as a prophet and even seems to be a reliable prophet because they give you a sign or a wonder and it comes to pass. We'll deal later in Deuteronomy with what you do if a prophet arises and what they say doesn't come to pass. But you've got that this prophet, you've got a member of your family, you've got a, a city or a town within Israel. These three different examples of what do you do if someone is leading you astray after false gods? And the answer really in all three cases is they're put to death. They're cut off. They are, they are done away with. Now, we have to translate this, of course, from an Old Testament context to a New Testament context. We are not a theocracy, right? Some people think of America as like, a theocracy where God rules through his word. That's just not the case at all. Like America never was ruled by the word of God, uh, not in covenant with God, not God's chosen or holy people. The church, the church is God's chosen and holy people, but we are not given the sword. The sword is given to the state and the state is not a theocracy. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is given to the church to proclaim and declare and preach and teach God's Word, not to execute punishment and wrath in a physical way. So the New Testament equivalent of the death penalty is excommunication. The idea that you put someone out from your fellowship, you no longer admit them to the Lord's table, you no longer regard them as a believer. That is a very serious thing in the New Testament age. It's to say to them, you no longer have access to the Lord's table permanently because you have shown yourself to not really be a believer. And that's true if someone is deliberately promoting and leading people astray after idols. So idolatry is a serious issue. Now, I also want to clarify that in, in these cases, most likely from other things we read in, in the Mosaic Law, there could be a ransom price. So even though someone is subject to the death penalty, it's only for murder. It's only for capital first degree murder that you would not accept a ransom price for someone who is subject to the death penalty. So if someone was promoting idolatry, they would be put under the death penalty, but then there could be a ransom paid for their life. Of course, they would need to repent of that promotion of idolatry and turn back to the Lord, but then they could be redeemed at the ransom price. And of course, we know that if anyone believes in Jesus and repents of sin, he has already paid the ransom price for all of us. And so no matter what, we can be redeemed. We can be ransomed from the folly of our ways, bought back by the blood of Jesus. But still, what I want to get at at the heart of today's devotional message is that idolatry is a very, very serious issue. God takes it with a deadly seriousness. I hope you pick that up from Deuteronomy 13. Well, you might be thinking, okay, pastor, but we don't worship idols today. I can look around my house and I don't see any statues to Baal or Asherah. I don't have any altars to false gods. Well, maybe our idolatry is not as open or as obvious as it would have been in the days of ancient Israel, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. An idol is anything we give our heart's affection, our worship, our trust, 
our devotion to instead of God? Who do you trust to be the strength of your life and your portion forever? Who do you trust to, to be in control of your life? Who do you give unquestioned, heartfelt obedience to? Who has first place in your heart, in your life? This would be shown in how you spend your time, what you spend your money on, what your priorities are for each day, what are you chasing after, what are you pursuing? All of us are prone to idolatry. John Calvin was famous for saying that the heart of man is a perpetual factory of idols. That's what we do. We produce things that we put our trust in. Money, our careers, politics, entertainment, pleasure. We live for things that are less than and not God. So if you're living for money through your career because you think that if you get a million dollars in the bank or two million dollars in the bank, you'll be able to live comfortably and you'll be able to relax and you'll have peace. Well, you are living for a false God. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. You just can't do it. One master you can have. Now, God may choose to bless you with wealth so that you can use it to be a blessing to others in his name, but to pursue that, to say, this is the object of my life. This is the aim of my existence. I'm going to get rich. That is flat out idolatry. Or do you find comfort and peace from political victories? And do you find great angst and distress from political setbacks? Are you, are you worshiping? I think it's the most common God in our culture today is the cultural God of political power. Who's going to win the next election? Who's going to have the majority? Who's going to be able to make their laws? Or it could be even family. That's an idol within the Christian subculture. I'm living for my family. I would do anything for my children. Would you? You know, the second example here gives us this stunning example of if it's someone in your family, your, your, your son, your daughter, your wife, your brother, your close friend, if they're drawing you away after an idol, cut them off. Don't have anything to do with them. Say, look, this is not right. So sometimes we can make an idol out of our family and we can prioritize. I mean, I honestly think parents do this when they sign their kids up for recreational sports that they know are going to happen on the Lord's Day on a regular basis. You know, it's like, well, of course we're going to do baseball season. And yes, I know games are played on Sunday morning. And I know that means I'm going to have to miss church for three or four months in a row. But, you know, little Johnny is a really promising baseball player at eight years old. And we're going to go pursue this. That's idolatry. It is. It's saying that my child and their athletic success is more important, more valuable to me than having him in church to worship with God's people on the Lord's Day. And that I'll miss Lord's Day worship, break the fourth commandment for Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. That's idolatry. Idolatry is serious. We need to examine our own hearts. One way that we can test what our idols are, what are we angriest when it's threatened? right? When, when something is threatened, what makes us really angry, sinfully angry, so angry we would want to hurt somebody if something is threatened? That's an idol. What do we cherish and 
serve with our time and our attention and our money. That's an idol. What do we think we can't live without? If I were to lose blank, I would not know what to do with myself. I would not be able to carry on. That's an idol. And we need to search our hearts. We need to find these idols. We need to confess them to the Lord and we need to repent of them. Now, many idols are God's good gifts. A job, income, family. These are all good things. So we can lay them at the feet of the Lord and say, Lord, this is a good gift from you. I don't want it to become an idol. Please keep it from snaring my heart with too much love, love that belongs to you and you alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are the only one worthy of our worship. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are awesome in your power. You are eternal in your steadfast love. You are God and you alone. Forgive us for when we take your good gifts and we make them ultimate things that we're living for, pursuing, desiring with all of our heart. We should desire nothing with all of our heart but you. We should cherish nothing above you, nothing beside you. Forgive us of our idolatry. Show us where those idols are. Help us to repent of them that we might be yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me for Deuteronomy 13 tomorrow. We're going to go right on to Deuteronomy 14. Hope you can join us for that. Have a blessed day in the Lord.